Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. And before we go to our most esteemed guest, one of our favorite contributors, somebody we can't wait to talk to, we are going to wait for just a minute because i got a couple quick things. Next week, the show is going to be on ESPN uh, from 10 to noon instead of the fan from uh, 9 to 11 because of a football game that happens occasionally. So do that. Because of that, our dog question giveaway, um, where Ben Garcia, our hunting dog expert, is asking for questions, is going to be extended out. We're still going to use all the questions that come in now, but everybody that submits a question um, is going to go into a drawing, and one person will be selected, and they'll get a choice between three free oil changes at uh, Prestige Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Longmont. They have a great service department. Or a $50 gift certificate from Colorado Clays. The information is on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. If you don't have Facebook, email your dog training question to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at gmail.com. Let's go to the phones and joining us, our great friend, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing really well. I know we're going to talk hunting, but can we take a real quick fishing question? Absolutely, and I got to say that was the best intro I've ever had. I feel like that should be something we do probably every week. You know, Terry? I should just tape that. You think, right? <laughs> exactly. I just play it myself <laughs> all the time. All right. Hey, um, while we were talking with Austin about the walleyes at Chatfield, somebody hit the text line and said, "Is there any way to get those fish from shore this time of year?" It's kind of difficult because of what's going on, but you fish it more than I do. I thought I'd throw it out to you. Absolutely, Terry. You know, so it's crazy. So we're here at Chatfield right now for our final catch rate of end of the season. Uh, so our hours go from 7 to 3. Uh, so we're out here during the day. Normally it's a kind of an afternoon, evening kind of thing. Uh, but we're out here during the day. And honestly, Terry, if you asked me that question a month ago, I would say that the shore fishing is kind of tough. But honestly, right now as we approach that full moon that we had on Monday night, kind of kicked off our fall bite and absolutely i'd say shore angling honestly for some of the big fish um might even be better than than from a boat um it really takes just a little bit of that water cool down to really kind of get those shad a little tighter up in their groups and once those shad are a little tighter they start bumping into structure a little more common and that's when that shore bite call my phone sorry about that lady there yeah so right now i would say the shore bite is phenomenal um at catch rate the very first walleye of the day today came in about two feet of water off the rocks on the dam. Um, so if you're at Chatfield or Cherry Creek, you're going to really focus on points and walls. So when we say a wall, thing like a dam face, a real steep structure that those walleyes can push up, push the bait up against that wall to feed on them, or structure where those shad might bump into it. So at Cherry Creek, the entire dam face is phenomenal. Um, I would literally spend all my time right there. You can also fish the point right by the tower um, and cast onto a piece of structure. So at Cherry Creek, it's all about just east of the tower or the dam face. At Chatfield, you have the entire dam face, which is very good. Um, you can honestly go to the Handicap Pier Point, which is basically the point just to the west of the south boat ramp, um, and that point's doing really well. And I would just time my technique 
depending on what time of the day I'm there. If you're in low light, so earlier, late in the day, I would be throwing jerk baits. If the sun's already up and it's pretty light out, I'd put a major focus on throwing jigging wraps and blade bait. Um, and those techniques are going to catch a lot of fish. But honestly, Terry, right now, from now until we see an ice cap, um, the shore anglers are definitely starting to have uh, a lot of increased action for the walleyes, for sure. That's awesome. Now, I know you wanted to talk hunting. What's going on? So, Terry, right now we are kind of in the heart of everything. So we have a bear season going. We have an elk season going. We have our deer season going. Um, and literally starting here uh, on the Eastern Plains, starting up next Saturday, we have our rifle pronghorn season. So we kind of want to touch base. Um, this season started off absolutely banner for the archery hunters. We probably had one of the more successful opening weekends and first week uh, for the elk season that we've had in many, many years. Uh, then muzzleloader was going the last two weeks. It wrapped up last Sunday, uh, and once the muzzleloader season stopped, the, the muzzleloaders had very good success. However, the increase, you know, general hunting pressure in the woods um, kind of slowed down the rut, and this is one of those things that we, we often see. Um, and whether it really slows down the rut or just slows down the talking of the elk, uh, we did see that. So kind of towards the tail end of the muzzleloader season, we saw the elk kind of slow down on the bugling, the cow call kind of settled down. Um, and then we're just starting to see that pick back up. But, again, that's just due to, obviously, a lot of hunting pressure. We have, you know, all the archery hunters in the woods. We have the muzzleloading going on, and then we have a lot of, obviously, just general recreation with the fall colors. So we definitely saw just a, a slight decrease uh, in that vocabulary of the elk. Um, so it's one of those things that you can kind of anticipate, and that vocalization is coming back as we speak. So the archery hunters are out until this Thursday, and we really anticipate a strong finish to that season just as these elk are starting to talk more and more and more um and really this is kind of that that peak rut the full moon that hit monday night um even though it kind of slows down daytime activity and increases nighttime activity it really is kind of the solidifying act um of picking up that rut so our elk rut is in full steam and we only anticipate it getting better and better throughout the course of the week so that's kind of where we're sitting with the elk and the elk rut um as far as the mule deer go, uh, again, we are in that archery season for those deer, and the velvet has come off. You guys, everybody, the listeners have heard me talk about this. Those mule deer hold a pattern literally from spring. We'll call it May or June, and they hold that pattern until the velvet comes off. Our velvet, for the most part, held until the very, you know, first, second, third, fourth day of that muzzleloader season. But I would say by the midweek of that muzzleloader season, that Wednesday, Thursday, a week ago, uh, that's when the velvet really started to come off these deer, and it changes their patterns. That's basically when they're starting to migrate a little bit and move from their summer patterns to their fall pattern. Um, you know, they're starting to have a little more increased uh, awareness of where they're at, where they're going to be for the rut. Um, so as far as the deer go, if you were on a steady pattern where they were on velvet, I'm sure you had success in your hunt. Um, if you were not finding success in the beginning part of the season, now that the velvet's off, these deer have totally changed patterns, and a lot of hunters are now seeing deer because they are now in areas where they weren't before. Um, so long story short, we always talk about that because it's more one of those things that you as a hunter have to know. If, if you have a pattern when they're in velvet, make the most of it why it's there. And then the second that velvet comes off, the patterns change a little bit, and you definitely have to adapt to it. Uh, they definitely spend a lot more time in the trees. They usually drop in elevation, uh, and just things change. So it's just good to be aware of that. Um, so we're excited about that. So, again, hopefully all the hunters have a, a great remaining season. Uh, and then for everybody else getting ready for this upcoming pronghorn hunt, we're going to try to switch gears uh, and start talking about taking out the, the rifles and what's going to happen with this upcoming pronghorn season. 
before we go on to anything more, I want to circle back to the elk. We've been talking quite a bit about the elk hunting coming into this week, and we've been kind of advising people not to overcall, not to be over vocal, because if they weren't in the rut yet, if they weren't bugling, you know, you could actually blow them out of your area more than communicate with them. Now that they're heavily in the rut, are you advising people maybe to be a little more vocal or you just kind of listen to what's going on where you're at? Exactly what you said, Terry. I would definitely listen to what the elk are. I was actually sitting in a wallow. I was in a ground blind on a wallow last Saturday, um, just waiting for these animals to come utilize the water source. And at one o'clock midday, um, I was sitting there and all of a sudden a a hunter just randomly walked by me, uh, just cow calling and bugling away. Um, And it's crazy because he actually uh, was one of the situations where I had animals talking, I had them bugling, and once he came through, it totally kind of stopped the whole thing. Um, So again, if the animals are not talking, uh, you definitely need to not talk. So if they're bugling, they're cow calling, they're responding to your calls, continue to do so. But if the woods are silent, I really encourage hunters to, to be silent. And this is one of those things that almost all the hunters need to pack together to do because of the increased activity in the woods and of more hunters trying to get into the, the technique of calling, if you're calling when the time is not right, it truly does. I don't want to say it hurts the rut, but it hurts the animals being vocal. Um, if they learn not to trust it, they can breed. They can do all their fall patterns without calling. Um, so it just makes it tough for a hunting situation. So 100%, Terry, if the animals are talking and responding, continue to call. But if they are not, it's a hard sign that you definitely need to not be calling as well. Okay, let's circle back now to the pronghorns. What should we be doing right now if we're looking for rifle pronghorn? Absolutely, Kerry. So, you know, we we do literally months and months of scouting uh, when it comes time to archery hunting elk and archery hunting deer. With the pronghorn, we can shorten up that scouting. Now, obviously, if you're looking for a very particular animal, a trophy pronghorn, uh, we encourage you to spend more time scouting. But really, the pronghorn scouting comes to kind of two phases. Number one, you need to scout just to find where animals are at. So you're looking for bucks, looking for does. Uh, you're spending a lot of time just finding that general population and where they're at, uh, just so you have a good idea of it. And then we really try to follow through with our secondary phase of scouting, and that's going to fall literally the day or two ahead of the season. So with the rifle hunting starting next weekend, we encourage hunters to get out there the day before you hunt or two days before you hunt and literally find where those exact animals are. Um, they do move around, but not that much. So if you can find a pattern the day ahead of time, you can really plan accordingly to, to sneak right in there and create success uh, bright and early on that opening day. So really find them now, get a good idea, and then fine-tune that right before the hunt, um, and you're going to have success. The reason we talk about this, not that all pronghorn hunters do this, but so much of the pronghorn hunt is tied in kind of associated around vehicles. People will drive around just to cover ground, which I'm not even saying is a bad thing. Um, you know, you can get, drive to a hilltop, glass for miles. If they're not there, drive to another section and, and glass there. Um, so using a vehicle as a transportation is obviously fine, but we really don't want to get in the habit of, of you know, pushing these animals or literally road hunting to where you're driving around trying to get out of the truck and, you know, scurry to your legal distance off the road and and take a shot. Um, The biggest reason for that is you're spooking the animals. Pronghorn are one of these animals that can go either way with the taste of their meat. If you can have a a pronghorn, male or female, 
just naturally feeding, going along with their, their normal day-to-day life. And if you can make that shot, create that harvest on a calm animal, it's really one of the best meats that you're going to have in wild games. However, if you're pushing these animals around, um, you know, they, you come over a hill and they see the truck and they take off running, and then you start your hunt. Um, once the animal's adrenaline's up, once they're super active, once they're running around, um, once all those endorphins hit them, that's when all of a sudden you start increasing the gas and the meat, um, and that's when you can start losing the quality of the taste in that meat. So more than anything, I encourage all the pronghorn hunters to do your homework, find them first, um, and really try to approach your shot and your, your overall hunt of the situation uh, long before the animals see you or know you're there. The calmer that situation is, obviously, the more you have time to take the shot, the more the quality of the meat's going to be there. So just encourage hunters to kind of take your time um, and hunt them with a little bit of ease this year. It's just better for the entire system. And with that, I have a live feed this coming Tuesday on all the Colorado Parks and Wildlife outlets. Um, so those, uh, those, that live feed will be at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, both on the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Instagram page as well as our Facebook page talking about the upcoming rifle season. We'll talk about shot placement. We'll talk about legalities, uh, being around vehicles and roads. We'll talk about, you know, seeking up information as far as what legal property you can hunt and so forth. So we encourage all the hunters out there to, uh, you know, check out those live feeds on this coming Tuesday. And I think you'll get a lot of information, you know, an expanded version of what we just talked about with Pronghorn. No, you're absolutely right. You know, one simple thing that I see upland game hunters and pronghorn uh, hunters do is it's it's such a they don't think about it just they slam a car door they have no idea what that does <laughs> absolutely you know noise everybody associates noise to being negative if it's natural noise walking through the woods you can make and get away with a lot of natural noise but foreign noise uh the car door slamming car doors you know your horn honking you don't realize that you know when you do it in a parking lot it doesn't seem foreign but out in the woods you lock your door and your horn honks um extremely foreign pocket change you know quarters in your pocket all of that stuff is that that foreign noise that is just absolutely crushing to, to many hunting situations last question my friend um if you were going to go fishing we're going to have some beautiful weather in the next few days where would you go you know, Terry, if you're going to stay local, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, the fall bites hitting, um, you know, obviously our anglers aren't listening to this. We have a 28-inch walleye on the board so far at catch rate uh, and lots of other legals. So Chatfield's doing very well. We know of a lot of big fish that came out of Cherry Creek this week. So front range, I would stick to Chatfield, Cherry Creek, walleye fishing, reaction bait. It is hot. If you want to go up to the hills and kind of enjoy that bite, right now I would say Antero is probably my favorite place to go. Lots of numbers as well as some really big fish so trout at antero or, or walleye in the front range are kind of the two hot picks right now if people want to get a hold of you where do they find you nate absolutely you can always go to our facebook page tightline outdoors or our website tightline outdoors i uh, got everything associated with tightline outdoors uh, and we're excited to have everybody come uh, check us out and uh, have a possibility of getting on the water with us all right my friend we will talk to you again soon thank you you bet nate Zolinski. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk to the folks at Jack's Outdoor Gear about waterfall hunting right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 104.3 The Fan. Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. And speaking of Jack's Outdoor, uh, Gideon Lockhart from the Fort Collins store is on the line. Good morning, Gideon. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Isn't it beautiful? I'm in Fort Collins, too, and it's 
going to be a gorgeous day. It's hard to believe waterfall season is already just around the corner. I think, actually, I think the youth hunt started today, and some of the areas open up next week. Now, you got to be careful because we have different flyways and different areas open at different times in Colorado's, but it's a very popular time of the year. I think one of the things, we're going to kind of get into gear and selections for somebody, whether they're new or seasoned, but I think one of the first things people are asking right now is about ammunition. How are you guys doing for shotgun ammunition for waterfall? Yeah, absolutely, Terry. Well, right now we are completely stocked up, so we got more than enough to pretty much accommodate just about anybody that comes through the door. So we got anything from, you know, two, three shot, four shot, um, different steels. We got stacked loads, so we're pretty good to go. Tell people what a stacked load is. Yeah, so a stacked load is where you're going to get two different shot size. So you might have like a shot two on the bottom with a size four on top or vice versa, a two and a three. So kind of just helps with that little spread pattern. Well, I'll tell you what, knowing uh, that you guys have got ammunition, a lot of people are going to breathe easier because a lot of people have been holding their breath that they won't be able to get it. So that's awesome. And you're well stocked. Is that at all your stores? Are you pretty well stocked? Yes, sir, it is. That's perfect. Now let's talk about whether you're a seasoned hunter, but let's kind of go from the perspective of a newer hunter. A lot of people have gotten into hunting during COVID and things like that. So I walk in the door. Um, I guess probably the first thing you're gonna I'm gonna ask you about is a new shotgun, right? Yes, absolutely. So what kind of selection do you have, and what do you, what kind of recommendations do you make? Well, you know, Terry, we got anything from, you know, the pump actions all the way up to the semi-autos. But for someone that's new that's just getting into it, um, you know, the very novice hunter, um, we got anything that's ranging, you know, from 375 up to, you know, 399 to get into. Um, got really good brands. So we got the, you know, tried and true Remington 870, um, the Benella Nova CZ612. You know, so there's several different ones that we can definitely put them in. Um, someone that's kind of new, I would probably recommend uh, pump action instead of, you know, a semi-auto just to get started. You know, I agree with you 100%. And that Remington 870 has kind of been the traditional gun for so many years, but there's a lot of great guns out there. And you can, you know, one of the things when somebody comes in to get a gun, you want to look at fit and things like that. But the pump yep. action, I agree with you the fact that it's probably the most reliable and it probably the best gun to operate. Activating that pump actually makes you re-aim again. And I think for inexperienced hunters, it brings you back on target. And it's just going to function and go well. Do you have enough different shotguns, though, for somebody comes in and, you know, a youth person or maybe a, a female or a large male or smaller person, can you fit them all pretty well? Or are most of today's guns adjustable? They are, Terry. We pretty much got, like you said, you know, we have anything that can accommodate, you know, the youth, the woman that's just wanting to get into it, or, you know, full-size adult. So pretty much whatever they're looking for or wanting to do, we can get them sized up and fit correctly. Well, you know, knowing that you've got shotguns and ammunition is half the battle in today's world because a lot of places don't have that. It's getting tough. Along with the shotgun, a lot of people get confused about chokes. Now, if you're going to, do you, when you sell a shotgun, do they almost all come now with 
interchangeable chokes or are they chokes built in? For people out there that don't know, kind of take them through that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, most of them do. So most of them will come, you know, with your standard. So you'll have either an approved cylinder, modified and full. Um, most of the modern day shotguns, whether it be pump or semi-auto, they will come with chokes with them. Um, there's a few that might not, you know, that you have to get like an aftermarket or an extended one with it, but most of them do have those in there, Terry. Now, do you recommend different chokes for different times of the season? Because I know the flight pattern of the birds can be quite different. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, especially for early season, you know, those birds are coming in really tight and, you know, coming down looking for those big bodies of water. Um, so we'd, we'd recommend going with probably like an improved cylinder or an improved modified. Um, stick with kind of, you know, keeping it a little bit wide like that nowadays with – you know, most of these modern-day shotguns now, the full chokes are kind of almost a thing of the past. So a lot of people are kind of staying away from those now. Do you go to maybe a more full choke, though, as you get later in the season, the birds later might be a little season. more shy? Yep, later in the season I would, yeah. I mean, it's still definitely obviously a possibility to, you know, put those fulls in there a little bit later on in the season as it goes by. And they're kind of humped down on the big bodies of water. Yeah, let's kind of go through what else I might need. Uh, uh, do I need a lot of decoys when I'm starting out, or do you have a lot? Do you, are you well-stocked on decoys? Yes, we are stocked quite a bit on decoys, Terry. We have um, the Avian Xs, we have GHGs. Um, and as far as, you know, getting started with the decoys, I would say not so much. I mean, at the same token, you know, you can kind of do the opposite effect. If you're having too much or you're not familiar with how to set the spreads, and how to stage them correctly. So even just having one or two, you know, floaters out there, some that'd be perfectly fine. Yeah, and I think getting more than a dozen decoys when you're starting out, you're just going to be too much is sometimes worse than not enough. And even if you got a little bit at bigger area, you know, half a dozen to a dozen maybe. Another thing, I know you and I were talking earlier in the week, and a lot of the best fishing or uh, fishing the best hunting early is our river systems in fact parks and uh, wildlife has reservation blinds and areas up and down the the platte river that you can reserve areas to go hunt and in those river areas sometimes you need very little decoy right correct correct yep now what about your own blind now you can get by without that you can reserve blinds but some people are going to want to maybe go to private land or there's a public area that they want to be hidden. How important is it to own a blind? Can you get by? But if you think you really want one, what kind of money do you have to spend? You know, there, it's, you know, you can get into a, you know, an A-frame pop-up blind or, you know, a layout blind, you know, starting around two ninety nine and up. I mean, it just kind of depends where you want to go, but we also have, um, there's grass nets and, things like that that you can kind of put up just to kind of brush yourself in a little bit, kind of break up your silhouette, so to say. You know, the last thing I really want to talk to you about, and that's calling. You know, we're a week away from the season opening. Uh, how important is calling, and can you learn a few basic calls quickly that will help you, and what do you have to spend to get a call? Yeah, so you can – you can get calls anywhere from, you know, 20, 30 bucks, you know, all the way up to your more advanced calls, you know, where you're spending a few hundred dollars for the calls. 
Um, there's a, really a lot of tutorials out there on YouTube and stuff right now that can get you going with some of the basic calls. You know, something that's just going to get that sound out there and get their attention when they're flying by. You know, you have your few decoys down sitting in the river bottom and you kind of just want to let them know that there's something down here. There's definitely a lot of tutorials and it's not that hard to get going on it for sure. One of the friends I have says that the best thing you can do is get a call and go out to some of the parks where there's ducks and geese that aren't threatened and talk to them with your call and you'll, you'll learn pretty quickly. He says, absolutely. So if I'm coming in, I want to get started. I mean, it depends on whether, of course, if I need waiters, if I'm going to have a dog, I'm going to have a boat out there. But if I'm just going to do some jump shooting and just get a lot, sounds like I get a shotgun, you got plenty of ammunition. If I'm jump shooting, I wouldn't even need some decoys, but maybe a call. And you can be pretty much ready to go without spending a whole ton of money, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can. I mean, you can get out the door in the field. You know, the biggest cost is, is going to be your shotgun. You know, the ammunition prices we're seeing are getting better overall. So, yeah, I mean, you're looking, you know, five, six hundred bucks. You can, you're out the door and you're out there hunting. So that sounds great. And uh, that shotgun is a lifetime investment. If you take care of that, uh, like that 870 Remington, it's going to be around forever. You can hunt with that the rest of your life. So it's a great investment. So all the stores pretty well stocked, and you're in the Fort Collins store. Are you there today if somebody wants to stop by and talk to you? Yes, we are. Yep, we have uh, several staff members here today that will be willing to assist anybody that comes through the door. Like we mentioned, you know, anything from the novice hunter all the way up to the most advanced or expert hunter. So we got people here that can answer any questions and get them all set up with whatever they need, Terry. All right, Gideon, thanks for joining us, and thanks to Jax for being such a great partner to this show. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Yes, sir, Terry. Thank you for speaking with me. Appreciate you. You bet. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jax Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. With all of your friends, You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones, and joining us, it's Fishful Thinker's own Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. It's a beautiful morning out. Hey, I want to thank you for filling in for me while I was uh, trying to hook up a few fish in Minnesota. Great job. Thank you again. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. Always have a good time with that. And I was kind of watching your guys' trip. Looks like you had a pretty good trip as well, so it worked good for both of us. I appreciate it. We did. We did. You're starting to like fishing in Minnesota, aren't you? Yes, sir. Uh, I go back to Minnesota any time, and, and I, you know, I was just there for a week, a little over a week, and we had a great time as well. And uh, that's a that's a fantastic place, you know. It's, I don't know why I waited so long to visit Minnesota, but the fish are willing. And one difference in Colorado, it's completely different because you're fishing natural lakes, and that's not something I had a lot of experience with. A few few of them in Florida, but for the most part, we don't get to fish. We fish reservoirs, and so the natural lakes and the native species are a whole different beast. And uh, I love it. Great place to fish. It is, but we got some great fishing here in Colorado, too. You know, and if you've been listening to the show today over the last few weeks, we're hearing a lot of talk about fall fishing and spoons and blade baits and glide baits and even jerk baits. But there's another class of bait that you think maybe gets a little overlooked in the fall that can really be effective. Is that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, it's a year-round. It's one of the most versatile baits of all. But the reason I like it in the fall is because, as you're well aware, we have uh, young-of-the-year bait fish that are that are now growing. You know, shad that were born this year, something like an inch and a half long around the whole country, anywhere you go. Uh, all the young-of-the-year bait fish, whether it be minnows up in the higher reservoirs or or whatever, there's a lot of bait fish in the system right now that were born this year that haven't had a winter die-off yet because we haven't had any hard cold. And one of the best ways to imitate them can be with a soft swim bait. And I'm talking about a little paddle, a paddle tail or a boot tail, or depending on who you talk to, um, but it's a little, looks like a little fish and has a little tea tail that swims when you retrieve it. And it's such a simple little bait. And that, that I think it gets overlooked because it's almost too simple for, for people to wrap their heads around. But in the bass fishing circle, it's been big for a long time. Something the three to four inch range uh, has been a very, very good bait for people uh, for catching smallmouth and largemouth around the country. And it's a bait that I have tied a lot. And there's a ton of different varieties of them out there from little tiny two inch like power swimmers and little tiny ripple shads. Uh, which are fantastic baits, all the way up to six or seven inch things like a Berkeley hollow belly or, uh, you know, some big, larger, uh, big sassy shads even. There's just a bunch of different versions of them. One of my current favorites right now is the gulp paddle shad. Uh, it's it's been built to give it a very subtle action. Gulp is a little firmer than, than PVC plastics, and, uh, and it makes for a very subtle presentation with the swim bait. But for me, most of the time it's on a jig head, um, something like that little two-inch power swimmer on a little maybe a 16-ounce jig head, great little panfish bait, also great for little stocker trout. And the beauty of it is, Terry, you throw it out, let it sink to whatever level you want, and just wind it back nice and slow and let the bait do what it does. And a great, great way to get a lot of bites from basically every species of fish out there. It's about as versatile as they get. It's right up there in my mind with a straight-tailed minnow as well. And the difference between the two is that the swim bait uh, basically displaces more water and has a built-in action, whereas the straight tail minnow, like the gold minnow or the power minnow, you have to generate it, and it's quicker in the water. The swim bait's more rhythmic and is better on an even retrieve, but you can still snap jig it. Uh, one of my favorites is a stop-and-go retrieve where you throw it out, let it go to the bottom. This is great for summertime walleyes. Let it go to the bottom and then spin the reel hard three or four turns real fast without moving the rod at all, and then just stop the reel right there and let it swim back to the bottom on a tight line. Fantastic way to get lots of bites. But at the end of the day, there's no wrong way to fish a, a little paddle tail. And you know my favorite saying, Terry, big fish eat little fish. And, uh, and the paddle tail, between the, between the little paddle tail and the, and the straight tail goat minnow, I can catch just about anything that swims. Well, you're absolutely right. One of our good friends is just, he loves uh, the paddle tail, the swim baits. Doug Stangy from In Fisherman, he fishes it year-round for just about every species. He catches giant walleyes on it in addition to bass. I think one of the things, you know, people hear you and I talking. Over the years, we've talked so much about the gulp minnow and about the power minnow, too. And But what I think sometimes we don't clarify enough is that straight tail minnow, which you brought up, is a more subtle, natural-looking presentation, and you are giving it life where this paddle tail uh, really can can uh, solicit a, a reaction strike, too, which the gulp minnow isn't very good at. No, the, the gulp minnow, you have to really snap it to make somebody react to it, whereas the paddle shad or the power swimmer or the ripple shad, uh, all of which, by the way, I'd like to point out are extremely popular on the Wyoming walleye circuit. I did a 
Glendo tournament a couple of years there, a year ago, just two years ago now, we had the Rona last year, but uh, I think like 80% of the field that went fish caught them on ripple shads by retrieving a ripple shad, which is just another version of the little, of the boot tail. But the key with it is you can be real rhythmic and just wind it and basically give fish no reason to not eat it. They'll swim up behind it in the line. A lot of times will just get tight. Fish will just swim up and suck it in very gently. Uh, walleyes, you'll feel them bite it for sure, but you can also do real subtle movements with it. I even will put it on a drop shot where the drop shot weight's dragging on the bottom. It gives me perfect depth control, but the little paddle tail's swimming along, you know, six inches off the bottom or eight inches off the bottom the whole time. So you're still at the bottom, kind of like you would with a crankbait, uh, but at the, uh, but also you've got the real natural paddle shot. And of course, in, in a lot of them that we use, as you're well aware, we're going to have scent and flavor in there. Maybe it's gold. That, that new gold pound shot has been fantastic. When we went to South Dakota, we caught literally five-and-a-half-pound smallmouth on that thing. And now they're available with some sparkle colors in them as well. And uh, so you get a little bit of shine, but it's rhythmic. It gives off a little bit of vibration. They're better in stained water than, than a straight tail by a large margin. We filmed a show out at uh, Jackson Lake and just absolutely waylaid the walleyes out there with uh, with the old pro shad, which was has been discontinued and replaced with the power swimmer. But either way, the power swimmer would have worked fine, and that was with the stop and go in the really stained water with a really bright colored bait. Yeah, that extra vibration, especially in uh, stained water, is so critical because fish use that lateral line sense to locate lures or baits or, or bait fish so much. Now, when you rig these, you mentioned the smaller ones you're putting on a jig head. As you get bigger, do you stay with a jig head or do you go with a swim bait type hook that has the special weight in it? Most of the time, if I can get away with it, I want the open jig head. I think the bait performs better on an open jig head so even up on big ones like for instance uh usual friend of ours dan swanson and i were fishing snook down there we're using a, a, in florida we're using a, a big paddle tail bait uh and putting it on a on a like three quarter ounce jig head with a big old like a six hot hook in it absolutely works fantastic so if i can get away with it without snagging that's how i like to fish it and I, as a general rule I, I will fish a heavier jig head on a soft swim bait by maybe a sixteenth or an eighth of an ounce than I will with a straight tail. And that's because the swim bait displaces water and will tend to rise when you retrieve it. So I want a little bit heavier weight in it so that I can keep it a more even or more horizontal type presentation. So for instance, a, a, like for instance, the 3.3 inch power swimmer is a fantastic bait here for smallmouth. I will generally throw that on a quarter ounce or maybe even a, a three eighths ounce jig head Whereas if I'm throwing a three-inch gold minnow, it's almost always on an eighth, and they'll work at the same depth range, and that's because of the water that it displaces. Now, if I'm fishing cover, for instance, uh, when I was up in Alaska fishing pike, we put that the six-inch hollow belly on a seven-weighted swim bait hook like you're talking about where it's Texas rig, and uh, and then it's got a, a belly weight or a keel weight on it, and that works great. It's one of those weedless presentations you can do. You can wind it through bulrushes or any, basically any kind of vegetation or hardcover, and uh, it'll come through there super clean. And then the other thing that's important to keep in mind is, for the, particularly for the guys like bass guys and things like that, it makes a great trailer to a vibrating jig or a spinnerbait or, and one of my personal favorites, and this one, this one I probably shouldn't even talk about, but I will, get a big beetle spin arm, put a willow blade on it, and then put a four inch three and a half or four inch paddle bait you know paddle tail of some sort on it and you will have an extremely effective um 
basically a different version of a spinnerbait. You can fish right behind other guys with it. Walleyes love it. Pike love it. Saltwater fish love it. It's one of my favorites. I, I couldn't agree more. Now, obviously, with the range of sizes, your gear changes. But typically in Colorado, if you're fishing the smaller ones, are you doing this on spinning gear with what kind of line? Yeah, absolutely. Spinning gear is, is where it is, unless I'm up in the great big ones, as you mentioned. Um, I generally fish it all of that stuff on light braided line. And the reason I do that is I have a lot better casting range and hook setting ability. I will fish them um, with a leader most commonly, unless the water is very stained. If the water's stained, I won't even put the leader on it. You don't need it. Like, for instance, when we filmed out at Jackson Lake with the stained water, um, you know, there it's it's straight eight pound braid right to it, and you, you know hardly ever have to even retie that thing because the leader there's not treble hooks that are going to tangle with the leader for one or tangle with the braid, and then for two, uh, I'm not worried about visibility in that situation. So you can go straight braid to it and not worry about a leader in a lot of you know a lot of cases. For me these days, the braid's almost always X9, uh, Berkeley X9. That is fantastic stuff. It holds knots great. It's very abrasion resistant. Casts like a dream. Um, but another good choice is the, is the Fireline braid, the actual braided Fireline that, that was launched this year. I've been fishing it for years, part of the test team, and it is great stuff. It's um, like any Fireline, it's better on like day two and there one. It's a little bit stiffer than like an X9 braid when it's brand new, but it's like an old pair of jeans. The longer you fish, the better it gets. And the last thing, you know, when you're talking about using these, because you're using an open jig head, you don't need a really, really stiff rod. You want something with sensitivity, but the hook sets can be just a sweeping action, right? Absolutely, and that's a great point, Terry. A lot of the time, I want a, I want a more moderate speed rod if possible or a lighter power rod. I don't mind a little bit of bend in it. If I'm just straight retrieving this bait, I want the rod at a 45-degree angle or maybe even a little bit more to the lure. And the reason is that lets the rod deflect a little bit or bend a little bit when the fish bites it, particularly with something like a trout. Because the braided line doesn't give you any any stretch or anything to, to slow down the, the reaction time. So I have the rod at an angle such that the tip of the rod will bend a little bit as the fish comes up and bites it and has the give. The other thing about it is it allows you to watch for bites. So if you're, for instance, doing the, the, the stop-and-go retrieve, that thing's on semi-tight line going swimming its way back to the bottom. Those bites, uh, you, the, the, you'll be able to feel those ones. You'll be able to feel the thing kick with the braided line. But the, that's the only time you're really going to have much of a hook set. You can sweep into those fish. But otherwise, it's just it'll come tight and then go ahead and pull into them. Even with, with pike or saltwater fish uh, that are, maybe have a little bit more bite power still, same thing. And just for the record, I was just up at, uh, at the Delaney Complex checking in on, uh, on fall fishing up there a little ahead of schedule. And that little swim bait just got murdered up there uh, in a three-inch size. So that's a, it's a great, great way to catch a lot of fish. We are out of time, Chad. If people want more information or to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, we're at Fishful Thinker, YouTube, Instagram, our website, or uh, Facebook as well. We, we do the constant, constant posting videos on YouTube. We would love to have people check us out there. And, of course, we're on both Altitude and World Fishing Network every Saturday morning. And uh, just so you're aware, Terry, thanks for all your help in the beginning of that. But we just signed uh, signed the airtime agreements for Season 26 to debut in January. So pretty excited about that. All right, my friend. We'll be watching for you. Thanks, Chad. All right. Thanks, Terry. Have a new hand. You bet. Chad Lachance from Fishful Thinker. We'll take a time out. we come back. We'll wrap up. This week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
Take It to the Limit by the greatest American band of all time, the Eagles. Thank you for that, my friend. It's always good to hear that. We're going to wrap up today's show. A um, couple things I want to make sure everybody knows what's going on. Next week, um, because of a football game, we will be moved over to ESPN 1600. Instead of 9 to 11, we'll be 10 to noon on ESPN 1600. You can listen live on 1600. You can listen online just like you do to the fan on your phone or your computer. And we will podcast a number of the better Everything gets podcasts. But then I go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and we always link to some of the more pertinent podcasts in case you missed them. So we always have that. Now, because we're getting moved, if you've been following us, you know that we're doing this dog training question. Uh, Ben Garcia, our our hunting dog training expert, wants questions from the audience. And we were going to try to start addressing those questions next week. But because we're going to be on the other station, we're going to put that off for a while. But we're still going to take all the questions. There's a post on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook that explains the whole contest. And what it is is you give us your question on dog training. And over the a few weeks after that, we're going to start answering those questions. Now, we're going to have a deadline. I think it was the 12th of October that you get your questions in. You can send questions after that, but that deadline is going to be for a drawing where we'll take uh, everybody who sends a question in, we'll put them in a drawing, and they'll get a choice between uh, a certificate good for three free oil changes at Prestige Dodge, which is a tremendous value, and they do such great work servicing. They just I get my vehicle serviced there all the time. You're in and out in a half hour, certified technicians, and this is three totally free oil change a package that's good over a couple of years or if you don't want to you can't get to prestige you can take a $50 gift certificate to Colorado Clays and that'll be good for any activities or anything they have a Colorado Clays so one of those but the important thing is to get the questions in we've already had a couple really good questions and so you can go to Facebook and just put your question in the comment area and we'll that will enter you for those of you that don't have Facebook, send your question on dog training to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at gmail.com. So Facebook is Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Gmail is Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Get us your dog questions. We'll be glad to get you entered. And we want to talk about this. We want legitimate questions because Ben is a tremendous dog trainer. We want to take advantage of his knowledge. So take advantage of that. Weather's cooling. Animal activity is going to pick up. Fishing and hunting are in full swing. We're going to be covering it every week. There is just so much going on in the outdoors right now. Fishing is phenomenal. The hunting is going extremely well. We've got some beautiful warm days. Then we're going to get some seasonal temperatures. So get out there and enjoy it. I want to say thanks to Kyle for keeping this show on the air and taking care of me. And for Karen for when things behind the scenes go crazy, her and Kyle have seemed to find a way to bail me out, so I even sound good on the radio. Thanks to both of them. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and ESPN Sports on 104.3 The Fan.